Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Hi everyone. It's uh, such a privilege for me to be here. It's so lucky to be here. I hope you guys are feeling welcome, every one of you is very welcome, everyone on Zoom, also hello to you guys. And before I get into this, I just want to pray for us. Lord, thank you for tonight, thank you that you are with us, that you speak to us. Holy Spirit, come and minister to each one of us tonight, speak to us through your word. And Jesus, I need you more tonight with this, uh, with this word, Lord. Um, pray just for your guidance and your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight's topic is the question, how is the enemy oppressing us? And tonight we're going to talk a bit about demons. And I I just want to confess that... uh, I really hate speaking about demons. Uh, I hate a demon. I hate giving them attention. But we need to talk about this, okay? This is why we have the sermon series in preparation for Encounter 4. But before I talk about them, I want to start on a high note. So let's just refresh our memory on what is the gospel of Christ. And, and I took this quotation, the summary from John Piper on the gospel. It says, The gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins and rose again, eternally triumphant over all his enemies, so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. And what I want us to be reminded of again is that as believers, doesn't matter how long a road we've been walking with the Lord up to this point, we can never outgrow the gospel. The gospel isn't something that once we get saved, We accept the gospel and we take it and we shelve it and then we continue on our journey with Christ. No, the gospel is a daily miracle that we need to remind ourselves of the good news of Christ. So starting with this high point, I just want to kind of talk about the sermon series in general. So Vian and uh, Renier preached a few this past couple of weeks, and this sermon ties in with this sermon series um, where we talk about the spiritual realm in preparation for our deliverance ministry at Encounter 4. So we're going to talk a bit about, as I said, demons in the spiritual realm. And as people that are part of the Western culture, let's call it the Western civilization, we tend to either ignore the spiritual realm or outright reject it. Because, you see, we we are descendants of the Western civilization that from the 14th century, you know, the Renaissance, the scientific revolution, the Enlightenment, up to this point, we've grown from God-centered gradually, slowly to man-centered, where we see mankind as God, where mankind sits on the throne. And this is where the secular humanism and this humanism comes from, 
where we, we really see ourselves as the, God, the gods in terms of our scientific uh, methods, uh, the technology, our, our progress in medicine. And we tend to focus solely on what's happening in the physical realm and ignore what's happening in the spiritual. But, but the truth is, the fact of the matter is that there's both a, a spiritual and a physical realm, and they both interact with each other. And the one influences the other. And what is important is that we need to realize that, you know, what, what's happening in the spiritual has a much greater effect in the physical than we, you know, always realize. And we see that in Genesis 3, where when Adam and Eve sinned, their sin, that separation from God, that, that sin that caused that separation from God, that spiritual death, influenced the physical. Now where we have sin, suffering, death, sickness in the world. Okay, so we've got the, the spiritual realm. And another thing we need to remember is that mankind also consists of two parts. We are spirit and body. Now, other theologians have a theory that mankind consists of three parts, spirit, soul, and body. Um, I, I agree with the two-part theory that we are spirit and body. But uh, you, you can choose for yourself which one you want to adhere to. It really doesn't matter. We can still have a braai. That, that difference uh, is, isn't a deal-breaker. So we are spirit and body. Now let's, get, now let's talk about demons. What are demons? As we are created by God in a spiritual and a physical bodily component, demons were once angels, good angels. And as angels, all the angels were also created by God, but as spiritual beings. And these angels rebelled against God. Brown had a very good a sermon on that two weeks ago, talking about Satan and demons. And they rebelled against God. God cursed them. They are, now, they are now what we call demons. Satan is their head. And they afflict us. What they do is they basically oppose God, oppose God's people. They, what they want to do, basically, is they want to destroy us. They want to destroy us physically. They want to destroy us spiritually, emotionally. Really, the point is they just want to destroy us. But what we need to remember is that they are limited in their power. We see that in Job, and Brown also preached about that, where Satan talked with God and asked God to afflict Job, and God permitted it, permitted it. But God prohibited him from killing Job. So they are ultimately under the authority of God, like we are under God's authority. And they do the things that they do in this world just because God allows it. They are limited in their power. And what is also important is that we can put them to flight. God has given us that authority where we submit under the authority of Christ with that authority in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can resist them. We can put them to flight. And we must not fear them. 
Scripture is clear on that. We have no reason to fear them. They can be rebuked in the name of Jesus. They can be rebuked by the Word of God. Like we see when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus used the Word to rebuke Satan. And the most important thing is to know that they have been soundly defeated by Christ, defeated on the cross, defeated by the empty tomb, by his empty tomb, defeated by the crucifixion, defeated by the resurrection. What's happening now is we've got this type of guerrilla warfare that's happening. The enemy's still fighting because God is really allowing it because, uh, well, the reasons reasons for God allowing it is, is is a mystery. We know that this affliction of the enemy strengthens us, where he afflicts us either in our body or in our spirit, and we'll talk about that a bit later, but there's that affliction. But we must remember the victory in Christ. Now, there was an interesting book uh, that I read a while back, a long while ago, about John Aldrich, uh, by John Aldrich, where he talks about the three types of enemies that we face. Obviously, demons being one, but the other two are ourselves and then the world, unbelievers persecuting us. So we've got these three enemies, ourselves, demons, and the world. And though we can blame a lot of the affliction and and, and troubles in our lives on demons and the world, we really need to acknowledge that we are also accountable for our deeds, accountable for our actions, our choices. We are also our own enemies. And we sometimes allow doors to be open in our lives by the choices we make. We allow open doors for the enemy to attack us from. And that leads me to the preposition for tonight. Preposition is if we repent and forgive others, the enemy's oppression will lift. The enemy attacks us in two ways. the, the, The extreme case is when we have demon possession, where a demon inhabits a person's body, takes control of the body, where the person, we see it, the demoniac that had uh, the legion of demons in him that Jesus cast out, uh, that that, that the possessed person can have uh, unnatural strength. A possessed person hurts, they hurt themselves because, again, like I said, demons want to destroy us, want to shame us. A demon-possessed person acts bizarrely, like slithering, like a snake, because the demon wants to shame us, wants to break us down. Now the question is, can a believer be demon-possessed? And the answer is no. When we are saved, when we accept Christ as our Lord, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And in our spirit, we can't have the Holy Spirit and a demon living concurrently. The lightness, the light drives out the darkness. Then there's another type of attack, a less severe type of attack of of, of the enemy, and that is demon oppression. Now this affects both believers and unbelievers. Where demon possession is afflicted on unbelievers, demon oppression is afflicted on unbelievers and believers. Now how do they oppress? 
They can oppress through sickness. And by the way, in, in demon oppression, they also can afflict through sickness. By demon possession and oppression, they can afflict uh, through sickness. And we see in the, in the New Testament that not all sicknesses are from demons. Je Jesus cast out demons that did cause sickness in the person's body, but there were also just people who were sick, and, and Jesus healed them. So not all sickness are from demons. So looking again at demon oppression, so they can oppress believers and unbelievers, oppress them in their bodies with sickness, and then the main channel of attack comes through our thoughts and our minds. That's where demons, oppresses, demons oppress us. That's where we are deceived. Like when, when Satan deceived Eve, he asked her, did God really say that you would die if you, if you ate or if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? So they deceive us in our thoughts. They tempt us. They plant suggestions. Uh, they plant doubt, guilt, fear, like Varys talked about, those thoughts he had. They can use that to oppress us. These thoughts of fear, confusion, envy, pride. And again, you know, if we are our own enemies as well. So if we let those thoughts soak in our minds over a period of time, it eventually influences our words and our actions. That is why Scripture warns us that, for instance, in 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 to 6, that we need to take our thoughts captive in obedience to Christ. We need to, in, in Romans 12, allow the Holy Spirit to renew our minds. That's where the enemy oppresses us, in our thoughts. And tonight I'm going to focus on two open doors where we allow the enemy to oppress us from. And those two doors are repentance, or rather the lack of repenting, not repenting, unrepentance, unrepentant heart, and unforgiveness, not forgiving our neighbor, our, uh, the people around us. So let's start with repentance. Now simply put, repentance is a choice. Repentance is a conscious choice that we make to accept the gift of salvation. Repentance is not an emotion. Emotions form part of it, but it's not what it consists of mainly. Repentance is a conscious choice. The Holy Spirit ministers to our conscience, to our, in our thoughts. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. And then we have to make a choice. We need to make that choice. Are we going to make that conscious decision to accept the redemption, the salvation that's in Christ by repenting of this sin that we are being convicted of? So it is where we change our mind, our attitude, we change our, our deeds, our words, our purpose. We change that where we were now living in the sinful life. And we change that, turn 180 degrees away from sin toward God. And in that instance, God's forgiveness is complete. God completely forgives us. He forgets about our sin. And we can have confidence in that forgiveness. So to look at this element, this potential open door of uh, unrepentance, 
Let us look at Psalm 51. David wrote this psalm after Nathan the prophet confronted David. He convicted David of his sin, of committing adultery with Bathsheba, trying to cover it up because she, she felt pregnant. He tried to cover it up. He couldn't. And then he murdered her husband, Uriah. And after this confrontation with Nathan, David wrote this psalm. So let's read Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You, you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. We see in this psalm, David starts from the place of seeking God's mercy. Seeking God's mercy in humility. Then it moves from him owning up to his sin. Then it goes to a place where he, he, he speaks of his desire to be renewed. He speaks of his desire to be restored. And then it moves into the direction of worshipping of God, the worshipping of God for his goodness. So if we ever feel distant from God or we feel the conviction of the Spirit, something in our lives that's affecting our relationship with, with God, this is an excellent excellent psalm to start with, to read it, to pray through it. Now I just want to take us back to verse 1 and 2. You can just go back to slide 6 there, please. Verse 1 and 2, we see there, we see there David's plea, his plea for forgiveness and from this place of humility, and this plea is completely based on God's character, his character of mercy, that mercy which David or any one of us deserve. 
which we don't deserve, the mercy which is in the character of God. Then in verse 3 to 5, just go to the next slide, yes. Then here David owns up to his sin and he acknowledges and knows that God is not to blame. God is not to blame. God would be fully justified in refusing David mercy. And God would be fully justified in judging him there, judging him with with his eternal wrath. Nevertheless, in verse 4, David then says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And he directs his repentance first and foremost to God. And, and yes, it's true that, that, that David did sin against others. But ultimately, we all sin against God first. He is the ultimate judge of sin. He is the Holy One, the Most High, the one that we are all accountable to. So yes, we need as well to ask for forgiveness to those around us. But first we need to direct our repentance towards God. In verse 5, David writes, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Here David acknowledges that what he did wasn't some freak accident. It wasn't an anomaly, abnormality, something that rarely happens. He knew exactly he is sinful by nature. And in fact, we inherit the sinful nature from Adam and Eve. We inherit the guilt. And in the womb, we are sinful. And if we say that we don't, don't, that we don't sin, we read in 1 John 1 verse 8 that we deceive ourselves. And again, we're our own enemy here. And the, and the, the demons can use that self-deception of not having sin. They can use that against us. They don't even need to de- deceive us. We started by deceiving ourselves. And then verse 8 to 11, we see David's repentant heart. He wants, he craves for a new sense, a fresh sense of God's presence. And that is what happens when we repent. We enter into the presence of God by the blood of Christ. And in the presence of God, demons scatter, demons flee. Interestingly, in verse 9, it says there, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Again, just highlighting the the, the weight of God's forgiveness. That blot out meaning to completely remove from the record book, forgetting our sins. Then in verse 14, slide 10, David says, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. And that reminds us of his sin, the sin of of not only adultery, but murder as well. And this is actually a kind of encouraging verse because it reminds us that there is no sin too great for God to forgive. No sin too great for God to forgive. The only sin that God cannot forgive is the one that we don't repent of. If we don't repent, God does not forgive. And while God, when we repent, while God forgives us completely, it doesn't mean that he always takes away the consequences of our sin. We see it in David's life. 
we see that though he repented and God forgave him, forgave him and, and the eternal wrath of God was taken away, David still had the consequences to deal with. The, the baby that was born from Bathsheba died, and later in David's life, his sons rebelled against him, and, and one of his sons actually tried to kill David, and David had to flee at some point. So David still had to live with the consequences. But here David is encouraged that with the forgiveness, God gave him the joy of the restoration of the relationship with God. And that, was, that is what God does to us as well. When we repent, He gives us back the joy of our relationship with Him. So through repentance, we are closing the door from which the enemy can attack us, from where the enemy can oppress us. And it's this lifting of the, of the oppression of our conscience as well, where our consciences are clear when we repent. The enemy has no ground to accuse us or condemn us. Can you guys see the, the potential open door here of an unrepented heart and the importance of repenting daily? It, it ties in with what we start with in the gospel, that we, we cannot outgrow it. It's a daily miracle. Salvation Forgiveness, repentance, it is a lifelong process that repeats daily. We, we need to daily repent where the Holy Spirit comes, sanctifies us, and conforms us into the image of Christ. And this means that not only is salvation then a process, a lifelong process, but deliverance from, the, the, from Satan and the demons is also a lifelong process where when we repent daily, we close that door and we are lifted. We are freed from the oppression of our own guilty conscience and the false accusations and condemnation from the enemy. The point is that when we repent often, the enemy cannot accuse us anymore. And most importantly, our relationship with God is restored. There's joy in that. And if God can redeem, save, and restore David, he can do the same for us. There's no sin too great to forgive. Now let's look at the, the second open door that we can create for the enemy to attack, and that is the one of unforgiveness, not forgiving the people around us. And like repentance, forgiving others is also not an emotion. It's also a choice. It is a choice we need to make. And then we see, we see here an example of this uh, element of unforgiveness. Uh, we're going to read the passage from Matthew 18, from verse 21. Matthew, Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive, and I forgive him. As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. 
So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him. This guy now physically assaulting this fellow servant, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That scripture ends on a heavy note. Now this specific context of this passage deals with church life in the kingdom of God. What we see here is Peter asking the question of if a fellow believer, if a brother, someone in the church asks for forgiveness repeatedly, it can be a different sin, it can be a same sin, the point is asking repeatedly, how many times should we forgive that person? And this is a kind of easy forgiveness because the guilty party comes and asks for forgiveness. And we can really apply this teaching to a broader sense. And this teaching of Jesus we can apply in this, in, in this sense that we are not only called to forgive fellow believers, but we are called to forgive even unbelievers, like when Christ hung on the cross and asked for forgiveness for, from the Father because the people did not know what they were doing. And Another, another thing is that, that, that we are also called to forgive others who don't ask for forgiveness. And that's the more difficult type of forgiveness. And we'll talk about that also a bit later. Nevertheless, here, Peter comes to Jesus with this question. And, and the Jewish custom was to, to forgive someone three times at most. So Peter was actually generous in, suggest, in, in suggesting you know, Lord, should we forgive them seven times? And Jesus responds with, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And, and what the, Jesus is teaching here is that the number of times we forgive someone is irrelevant. We shouldn't keep count of it. We should just forgive. That's the point. And then Jesus starts teaching this parable. And in the parable... We read there in verse 24, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And if you take that back to rand value, we're looking at 96 billion rand. That was that guy's debt. So assuming that you, you have an income of a million rand a year and you take that whole income and you give it, you pay off this debt, it will take you 96,000 years to pay it off. 
In verse 27, it's so beautiful where it says, And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. This massive, massive debt that that servant, or us in this case, this massive debt that we have no hope of paying. And God forgives the debt. How great is God's mercy, His forgiveness, and His patience. And it's also in the way that He paid this debt. Through His Son, He paid this debt. The only one who could pay the debt. The the spotless Lamb. And God chose to pay the debt. He made the way of salvation possible. Forgiving this massive debt. And then in verse 28, But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. What is hundred denarii compared to to 10,000 talents? Now, a hundred denarii, take that back to rand value, is about 193,000 rand. So how does 193,000 compare to 96 billion? It's not even a fraction of a percent. When last have we just stood still and thought about God's forgiveness, this massive debt that we have and had no hope of paying? And then we have to ask ourselves, have we accepted this forgiveness truly? From this parable, we see the immense weight of the gift of salvation, the gospel, the gift of God's mercy, and we also see that merciful and, 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 and uh, we also see that, 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 that if we are merciful and if we are forgiving towards others, we have accepted God's forgiveness. The gift of salvation has had a saving effect on our hearts. And we are not only accepting God's forgiveness, but we are living it. I mean, we, we, we all are sinners in any case, and we also sin against others. We need forgiveness from others as well. Why is it so difficult for us to forgive others? Have we perhaps forgotten the debt that Christ has paid? Do we need to remind ourselves? And, and this verse, this, this whole parable ends rather heavily where we see that, you know, that the one who does not forgive will pay the consequences. God judges those who refuse to forgive. And the reality is that a transformed heart leads to a transformed life where we take this forgiveness, this mercy from God, and we also bestow it upon others. This mercy, this forgiveness that that we've received from God, we give to those around us. And we are not above Christ's law of love, the law to love God, love others. God commands us to forgive. So can you guys see the second potential open door here that the enemy can use against us? This open door where we refuse to forgive. 
Because what will typically happen is over time, with this unforgiving heart, your heart will harden. Your heart will become bitter. The enemy will use this to oppress us, will use this to deceive us, to tempt us again. It can lead us to a place where the enemy can accuse us, can condemn us, oppress us. And it's as if we are carrying these unnecessary wounds, these past wounds or these unnecessary yokes that are holding us back from living a life in abundance to living for God, following Christ, holding us back. And God wants to free us from that. He wants to deliver us. We need to make the choice. Forgiveness is not easy. It is a process. I can speak from personal experience in my testimony when I was saved by God in the end of 2013. I also had to forgive a person. And it took a number of years where initially when I was saved, I made the choice to forgive and after a, a certain amount of time went by, I found myself again having these thoughts of revenge, thoughts of bitterness, where I want something bad to happen to that person. And again, I had to bring it before the Lord, proclaim that, that He has forgiven me, thank Him for that, and then verbally forgive that person, speaking allowed by myself, again, repeating that process of forgiving the person, allowing God to come in and cleanse me, heal me. Forgiveness of others is a process. Forgiving others does not mean that when we forgive that person, that person now is free from the consequences or even from the law. So let me give you an extreme example, like we saw with David where he murdered Uriah. If someone would murder someone that you love, God instructs us to forgive that person, but that doesn't mean that that murderer is now free from the consequences, and especially of the consequences of the law. That person still needs to go to prison, still needs to be executed, in my view. There are consequences to our choices and our actions but yet we are instructed, we are called to forgive because it is, forms part of acknowledging and just standing in, in awe of God's forgiveness for us and it helps to deliver us. Like I said, forgiveness is not easy. Forgiveness also frees our conscience. It frees our conscience. It frees us from, again, from the condemnation, the accusation of the enemy. It brings us peace. And I just want to touch on this as well, that there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. So when someone, like in this parable, comes and asks for forgiveness, then reconciliation between yourself and that person can take place. And that relationship can be restored because that person has offered forgiveness, you've forgiven that person. Then you have a, a, a scenario or instance where the person does not ask for forgiveness. So again, we forgive, but there can be no reconciliation. So that relationship cannot be, cannot be restored. 
And that's okay. That, that happens in life. That person needs to make that choice. You can't make it for them. We just need to forgive. The effect, the most important effect of forgiveness is that it really, like I said earlier, it assures us of the forgiveness that we've received from God. It assures us that our relationship with God is restored. We are not only accepting God's forgiveness, but we are living it. In conclusion, if we repent of our sins, if we forgive others, the enemy's oppression will lift. So let us be aware of the enemy. Let us be aware of their tactics. Let's be aware of the angles where they can attack from these open doors that we leave open of unrepentance and unforgiveness. And let us be aware of this. Let us be aware of the realities of the spiritual realm. Let us be aware of demon possession and demon oppression. But let us focus on the miracle of the gospel. Let us focus on following Christ. That is where we should place our focus. Being aware of the enemy, but placing our focus on Christ. Living the life of abundance that he gave for us. Living it. And living this life that he gave to us in his mercy, his immense mercy. So let us repent often and let us forgive. Let's stand tonight and I'll close for us in prayer. I just want us to, to stand here, close our eyes and I want to challenge us this evening. I want to challenge us to react and respond to what God is, 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 is saying to us, what, he is, what the Holy Spirit is, is, is speaking to us in our hearts. If you are here tonight and you can feel the convicting work of the Spirit, reminding you of a sin that you haven't repented of, if you are here and there's, a, there's still an element of your heart that's hard in terms of forgiving someone. If there's someone in your thoughts on your heart that you haven't forgiven yet. If any one of those two are you tonight, I want to encourage you to come to the front, towards the stage, and just by yourself, in prayer, talk with God. Speak with Him and kickstart that process. That process of not only closing the doors where the enemy oppress us, but also renewing our relationship with Christ, restoring it, restoring our relationship with God and freeing ourselves from the oppression of unforgiveness in our hearts. So I'm going to start in prayer, pray for us. And while I'm praying, you are welcome if you are convicted by God come to the front and just pray by yourself you're welcome to do that while I close for us in prayer yes Lord we, we thank you for your word thank you that you are not silent 
You're not the silent God, Lord, that you, you speak to each one of us, Lord. And thank you that you are so good, Lord. We just want to worship you for who you are, the Holy One, the Righteous One. You are blameless, Lord. And we know we have enemies in this world, ourselves, demons, Satan. We have the world. But Lord, you are the victorious one, Christ. You have already defeated the powers of darkness. Through the cross and the empty tomb, you have obtained the victory. And we honor you and praise you for that. We can walk in that victory in your name, Lord Jesus. In the power of the Spirit, we can rebuke the enemy. We can close the doors. We can take our thoughts captive. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins, Lord. This massive debt that we have no hope of paying. And you already paid it. You made it possible. Lord, it is by that forgiveness that we've received that we can forgive others. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts, Holy Spirit. Come and cleanse us. Come and cleanse us, Holy Spirit, from our iniquities. Blot out our transgressions, our iniquities. You will not refuse a contrite heart. You will not refuse a repentant heart. There's no sin too great for you to forgive, Lord. Holy Spirit, help us to forgive those around us, Lord, that have wronged us, that have sinned against us. Help us, Lord, we make that decision, though it is a difficult one, we make the decision to forgive. Lord, you want to deliver us in that regard. You want to make us free, to live a life of, abu- of, a life of abundance. Take us through this process, Lord, where we forgive and you come and heal us that we can focus on you, that we are not distracted by these things that hold us back unnecessarily, unnecessarily. Lord, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Speak to us in our quiet times. Thank you for ministering to us this evening. We honor you as the name above all names. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.